Thank you, Freddie. Thank you, worship team. Some beautiful moments of precious worship this morning. We are very blessed to be here. Well, good morning. It's good to greet you this morning in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a very, it's a wonderful, glorious day. I can't believe it's already the middle of April. Got your taxes done? If not, you may be a little bit too late. Well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this glorious day. We thank you, Lord, that we can come together as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can set things aside within our own mind and within our own life, and just for these next few moments, we can focus on you and your word. I pray, Father, that your message, that your word would would come across and would touch our hearts, and that in tandem with your Holy Spirit, you would speak to our hearts and minister to our needs and our burdens, and our cares. I thank you, Lord, that you are a wonderful God, full of mercy, full of grace, full of truth. Bless us now this day. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have a quiz for you this morning. All right? See if you can uh, complete these, uh, these common sayings, and we'll see how sharp you are this morning at the 8 o'clock service. All right, and we're going to have it up on the screen. So here's the first one. If it sounds too good to be true, it is. <laughs> okay, the next one. We make some money. We make money the old-fashioned way. We we earn it. There you go. Next one. There's no gain without pain. Right. All right. You guys know all the answers. Next one. God helps those who now, somebody tell me, is that in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. Yeah, it's not in the Bible. Some people think it's in the Bible, but it's really not in the Bible. All right? You get what you, you, get what you deserve. Hmm, okay. There's no such thing as a free... That's right. No such thing as a free lunch. Unless you come to the Salvation Army. Well, everything about the American way of life teaches us this simple truth. In life, you get what you deserve. In life, you get what you earn. You get what you work for. You get what you pay for. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And this, this really should be the American way. But the problem is, many people think the same way you relate to your paycheck or to your possessions is the same way you relate to God. But God does not relate to us on the basis of our goodness or how hard we work or what we do. He relates to us based on his grace. Can you say amen to that? He relates to us based on his grace. Not what we do, not how hard we work, but on his grace. And that's how God operates. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. This is what it says in Psalm 103, verse 8. It also says that in Psalm 145 as well. God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Bible says God is full of grace. He's a gracious God, and He loves to be gracious to you, to His people. God loves to bless people, who don't deserve it. Let me repeat that. God loves to bless people 
who don't deserve it. He's a God of grace. And now you can't understand the Christian faith, or you can't really begin to fully understand God, I believe, until you first understand grace. And maybe you may not understand it completely in your mind, but when I say understand, I mean you have to experience it. You have to experience grace. You see, apart from grace, you cannot know God. Apart from grace, you cannot understand God. Apart from grace, you cannot relate to God. You see, for grace, and again, I mean that experience of grace, that life experience of grace, is the foundational characteristic of God because it's, it's rooted in His love. It's also the foundation of our faith, and it's at the heart of our relationship to God. You see, you have to understand grace before anything else. The more you understand grace, the more you're going to be drawn to God. The more you understand grace, the more you're going to love God. The more you understand grace, the more you're going to trust God. The more you understand grace, the more you're going to be grateful to God. And it is through grace that God brings us to Himself. Now most believers, most believers know what grace is. And there have been millions of unbelievers who have sung about what we call Amazing Grace. A very, very popular song. In fact, there was a high school band concert a few nights ago, and someone was telling me their, their kid in the band, they played Amazing Grace. And I couldn't believe that they played Amazing Grace in a public school. But it's a common song. So many unbelievers have actually played or sung or listened to that song, Amazing Grace. But I believe, but I believe that there are many people today, today, right now, both inside the church and outside the church, who don't fully understand what grace is all about. And that's one of the reasons why we're beginning a new sermon series today. And it's called Grace anatomy. Now let me um let me clarify that a bit a little bit. All right? Now it's not Gray's anatomy. Okay? Gray's anatomy is a standard textbook for medical students. It's written in the 1800s by by a doctor named Dr. Henry Gray in England. And it's also not Gray's anatomy. You guys may be familiar with that, right? It's the ABC medical drama on TV. You know, when they first came out with this show, many doctors and medical students thought, oh my goodness, they're making a TV show about a medical textbook. That's pretty boring. Well, it's not about a textbook. It's, uh, those of you that watch that series, it's about a hospital and a, and a surgeon named Meredith Gray. And, and according to many fans, it's very far from boring. But a little play on words. But the title of our sermon series that we're beginning today and going on for the next several weeks is called Grace Anatomy. Grace Anatomy. And throughout these next few weeks, we're going to examine and take a closer look at some of the, some of the various aspects of grace. And the hope is that this series will help you to understand grace more clearly so that you can experience God's grace more fully in your daily life. 
So the question we ask ourselves, so what is grace? You know, there's no one single definition of grace, and I'm sure if I ask each of you, you may give me a little bit different translation or variation of how you understand grace to be. One definition of grace is that it's God's love in action. Another definition is God's unmerited favor. I like this one. It's up on the screen. Grace is anything that I need but don't deserve, that I could never repay, but God gives it to me anyway. And another definition that I like is up here on the screen as well. It says, grace is the face that God wears when he looks at my failures, my faults, and my flaws. I like that definition. There's a good word picture there. It reminds me of, uh, of my parents. When I made a mistake or I did something wrong, all my dad had to do was just look at me and I could see it in his face. And I would start crying. But then I would look to my mom and her face was full of grace. And so I would run to my mom. <laughs> but isn't that a good word picture? Grace is the face that God wears when he looks at my failures, my faults, and my flaws. You know, we just recently celebrated Easter and Good Friday. And what Jesus suffered on the cross for your, for your sins and for my sins, so that we could escape punishment and, and receive eternal life. Now that's grace. That's grace. You know, and as I said earlier, there are many facets of grace. There's healing grace, the grace that brings healing to our body and to our soul and to our spirits. There's sustaining grace, the grace that helps us to, to carry on, to carry through when we face life's struggles and life's challenges. The grace of God comes alongside of us and walks with us and encourages us along. It's God's sustaining grace. And then there's restoring grace. When things are broken, whether it's a relationship or something else, and there are many things in our life that are broken because we live in a broken and hurting world. And there's the restoring grace of God. That's a beautiful grace. And then there's other types of grace where, where we are called not just to be the recipients of grace, but to extend grace as well to others. And so you see, there, there are many facets of grace, and, and we're going to explore them in, in the weeks ahead. But the first and most important thing we need to understand is that we are saved by grace, and not by anything else that we do. And I don't want to assume anything. I know many of you are already believers and firmly rooted in your faith. But I still feel I need to preach this word. Because there may be somebody within the sound of my voice that has not experienced the wonderful saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. So even though many Christians know that they're saved by grace, sometimes they don't act like it. In fact, they may spend most of their life thinking and acting like they're saved by their good works. They spend their life trying to gain God's approval and making up for their sins by trying to do good things. They think they have to earn God's love and approval. And the rationale is if if you do a certain number of good things, then God will love you. If you do a certain number of good things, then God will bless you. If you do this, and if you do that, and if you keep these rules, and you keep these policies, and you keep these all these rules and laws, then God will then grant you eternal life. You see, you're saved by grace, but you're actually living by works. And that's what I want you to understand this morning. It's a very simple concept. But I see that taking place in so many people's lives. And sometimes, even myself, I I kind of revert back to that. Feeling as if I don't deserve God's love and God's forgiveness and His grace. And I feel like I need to work for that. I need to do more to gain God's approval. And that's something that we all face each and every day. But God says, no. My love for you, my relationship with you is not based on anything you do, but it's based on my love and my grace and my mercy. And yes, you do not deserve it, Phil, but it doesn't matter because I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you. Even while you were still sinners, even while you were still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for you. So that's the message today. I'm going to tell you a story. It's a rather lengthy story, but I think it makes a point here. And it's interesting because it's sort of, for me, it's a love-hate story. Because I'm going to be talking about donuts, not yet, and push-ups. So when I say love-hate, I love donuts, I hate push-ups. We were working out the other day, and uh, we had to do these push-ups. But they were uh, not your regular push-ups. They were what they called inverted push-ups. So we had to put our feet like something on this bench, about two feet up, and our toes were on that. And so we were on the ground, and we had to do push-ups like that. And it was pretty tough, I have to admit. It was pretty tough. Well, let me tell you the story. Let me tell you the story. So just sit back and listen. A religion professor named Dr. Christensen taught a required course entitled Survey of Christianity at a small college. Now understand, it wasn't a Christian college, but he had to teach this class. And every freshman was required to take the course, regardless of his or her major. And although he tried hard to communicate the gospel in this secular school, Students viewed the class as nothing more than a waste of time. 
One particular year, Dr. Christensen had a student named Steve. Now, Steve was this great, big, strapping young man, and he was the center on the college football team. But Steve was also a very strong Christian who intended on going on to seminary in the future. And so one day, Dr. Christensen had an idea, and he asked Steve to stay after class. And he asked Steve, Steve, how many push-ups, how many push-ups can you do? And Steve said, well, I do about 200 push-ups every night. And the professor asked Steve if he, if he could do 300. Well, I've never done 300 before, but, but I think I can do it, said Steve. Well, good, the professor said. And he proceeded to tell his plan to Steve. Well, Friday came, and Steve got to class early. And Dr. Christensen came in. He came into class with a large box of donuts. And I'm going to have my wife come and bring a box of donuts. And I'm going to tempt you with these donuts. All right? Ooh. Focus, focus. <clears throat> and so Dr. Christensen came into the classroom with a large box of freshly baked glazed donuts. You see, the class was excited. It was Friday, the last class of the day. And the professor wanted to have a little party and start their weekend early. So he brought in the donuts. And so Dr. Christensen went to the first girl in the first row and asked, Cindy? Would you like a donut? Well, yes, she said. Well, Dr. Christensen then turned to Steve and said, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so that Cindy can have a donut? Sure, Steve said, and he jumped out of his chair, and he got on the floor, and he gave 10 quick push-ups. And Dr. Christensen laid the donut on Cindy's desk. And Joe was the next student. So he asked Joe the same question, and Joe said, Sure, I'd love to have a donut. Well, Steve did ten more push-ups, and the professor laid the donut on Joe's desk. And so went all the way down the first row, and about halfway down the second, and everybody wanted a donut, and Steve did ten push-ups for every donut. Until it came to Scott. Now, Scott... Scott was a basketball player, another athlete, and he was a real ladies' man. Scott replied to the professor's question by saying, Yeah, teach, I, I want the donut if I can do my own push-ups. And Dr. Christensen said, No, Steve has to do the push-ups. Then Scott said, Well, then I don't want one if I can't do my own push-ups. Then Dr. Christensen turned around and said to Steve, Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Scott can have a donut that he doesn't want? And Scott said, hey, I said I didn't want one. And Dr. Christensen said, look, this is my classroom, this is my class, these are my desks, and these are my donuts. Just leave it on the desk if you don't want it. And he put the donut on Scott's desk. Well, Steve began to slow down a little, and sweat had begun to form on his cheeks. 
And Dr. Christensen started down the third row. And students were beginning to get a little bit upset. And some of them were getting a little bit angry. And so Dr. Christensen came to the next student, and her name was Jenny. And he said, Jenny, do you want a donut? And Jenny said, no, I don't want a donut. Then Dr. Christensen asked Steve, Steve, would you do ten more push-ups so Jenny can have a donut that she doesn't want? So Steve did then ten push-ups, and Jenny got a donut. By now, a sense of uneasiness had filled the room. The students were all beginning to say, no. There were uneaten donuts on every desk. And Steve was now putting forth a lot of extra effort to get the push-ups done for each donut. A small pond of sweat was on the floor. His face was red, and you could see the sweat soaking through his shirt. And Dr. Christensen asked Robert, the most vocal unbeliever in the class, to watch to make sure that Steve did the full ten push-ups per donut. Dr. Christensen started down the fourth row. And pretty soon, students from other classes had come in to see what was going on. And they were sitting along the side of the room watching. And when the professor saw them, he counted, and he saw that there were now 34 people in the room. And he was worried about Steve. Could he do that many push-ups? Well, Jason, a, a transfer student, didn't know what was going on, and he came in to see, and the class yelled, Go away! Don't come in! But Steve looked up and he says, let him come in. So Jason was asked if he wanted a donut too. And he said, yes. Steve, will you do 10 push-ups so Jason can have a donut? Steve did 10 push-ups very slowly and with great struggle. Jason, confused, was handed a donut and he sat down. Dr. Christensen then finished the fourth row and began on the visitors. And Steve's arms were shaking uncontrollably with each push-up. That's how I was on Friday, doing my push-ups. My arms were going like this. By this time, sweat was pouring off his face and arms. The very last two students were hiding in the back row. Back row. Danielle, do you want a donut? Danielle cried. And she said, no, thank you. And the professor turned to Steve. Steve, would you do 10 push-ups so Danielle can have a donut that she doesn't want? Grunting from the effort, Steve did 10 very slow push-ups for Danielle. The last girl in the class was Susan. Susan, would you like a donut? Susan by now was full of tears and didn't answer. Steve? Would you do 10 push-ups so Susan can have a donut? Susan asked, Dr. Christensen, why can't I help him? Why can't I help him? He's struggling so much. Dr. Christensen, with tears in his own eyes also, replied, I have given him this task, and he is in charge of seeing that everyone has an opportunity for a donut, whether they want it or not. You see, when I decided to have a party for the class, I looked at the grades 
in the reports. And I found that Steve was the only person with a perfect grade. All the rest of you had either failed the test or skipped the class or, or turned in inferior work. And Steve told me that in football practice, when a player messes up, he must do push-ups. I told Steve that none of you could come to my party unless he paid the price by doing your push-ups. And he and I made a deal for your sake. Well, Steve slowly got got up off the floor. He had done about 350 push-ups. His arms buckled beneath him as he started to get up. Two students helped Steve up off the floor into a seat, completely physically exhausted, but wearing a thin smile. Well done, good and faithful servant, said the professor. And then he told his class, You see, class, not all sermons are preached in words. And turning to the students, the professor said, and this is what he said up on the board, he says, My wish for each of you is that you may fully comprehend all the riches of grace and mercy that have been given to you through the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God did not spare His only Son, but gave Him up for all of us. And whether or not we accept His gift is our choice. The price has been paid. Wouldn't you be foolish and ungrateful to leave it lying on the desk? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask Freddie to come out to the piano. And it's a very simple message today. A message that probably you've heard many times. But the message is still true. Jesus paid the price. He took what we rightly deserved, which was punishment crucifixion, pain, suffering, even death. And he did it out of love. And that's what grace is. Nothing that we can do. Even when we refuse to accept it, Jesus still died on the cross for you. Just like Steve still did those 10 push-ups for those students that didn't want anything to do with the donut. He's already paid the price. He's done all the hard work. Our part is just the easy thing. We just accept it and receive it and enjoy the donut and enjoy the blessings that God gives. So as our worship team sings this morning, you spend the next few moments in quiet prayer and meditation and reflection. And if you haven't received the grace of God this morning in your life, or if you're struggling with that, now is the time to say, yes, God, I accept it. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. I know that I don't deserve it. 
But thank you anyway, Lord. And as they sing, if you'd like to come to the place of prayer, I welcome you to come. But let those next few moments just be between you and the Lord. And allow him to speak to your heart this morning. I'd like to pray for you this morning. If there's a special need in your heart or a burden, just slip up your hand. I'll be happy to pray for you. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Lord bless you. God bless you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your amazing, wonderful grace that completely envelops our life and our heart and our soul. And Lord, we are humbled when we hear about this and we only experience this. And we realize, Father, how far short we fall of what you would want us to be. But Lord, we come to you with humble hearts. The broken and a contrite spirit, Lord, you would not despise. And so, Lord, we thank you. And in your great love and mercy, you just come close to us and surround us and wrap us in your arms of love. And you whisper in our ears, saying, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. So Lord, thank you for that. Father, I pray for those particularly who, who raised their hands and said, God, I need your help. I need some prayer. I need a special touch of your grace this morning in my life. I pray, Father that they would just know and experience and feel right now your presence, your grace ministering to them, even right now as we pray. I pray, Father, that you would bring wholeness, that you would bring peace, that you would bring restoration, reconciliation, that you would bring healing, because you are a God of love, and you love us with an everlasting love. So we lift up our burdens, we lift up our needs, we lift up our our concerns we lift up our loved ones to you and we leave it at your feet jesus thank you lord thank you jesus amen amen